You're listening to the Kingdom Culture Church Podcast. To connect with us, hop on social media or go to kingdomculturechurch.com.au. Hi and welcome to Online Church. It's so good to have you here. How do you like my hair this week? It's the first time I've ever had it up on TV. Uh, Gabby did it for me and uh, it's just a new style. I just want, that was just to help me relax. I just want to um, give a big shout out to our team today. We've got Mr. John T. Brown. Give a round of applause for him. Ashley Dearlove and Stephen Bowl. Yay! Good to have you here. It's been so great to have uh, our family in the UK watching. I know Rob's sister Lynn and brother-in-law Bob. My dad's been watching from Western Australia. Jill from the UK. We've had friends in Alaska and Canada and Texas, all over the world watching. It's just amazing what this opportunity for online church has enabled us to do. But most of all, I'm just glad that you're watching because I believe that what I have to say, God has put on my heart just for you. So let's get started. On Sunday last week, um, we were watching church online at home and um, I, was, uh, I discovered that on my phone, while I was watching church, I could start my own watch party, which was very cool. And I was so excited as I started inviting loads of friends that I actually had 83 people in my watch party. And I said to Rob, how amazing, I've got 83 people. And I was boasting to him of how many people. But it was kind of strange because as I looked on the TV, there was 83 people in the KCC online watch party. And I said, and as their number went up, My number went up, and as their number went down, my number went down. And I thought, that's really weird. And Gabby, our 13-year-old, comes over to me to educate me, and she says, "Um, no, Mum, actually, just down there in the corner of your phone, that's how many people are in your watch party. I went, oh, so I've got 12. Yes, yeah, well, 12 isn't bad, I thought. You know, I mean, Miss Popular, still pretty good. Um, And so I thought, maybe I could have some more, and I'd madly invite more people. So I do ask your forgiveness ahead of um, for for last week if you got lots of unsolicited invites from me to my watch party. But as um, and as the numbers were going up, I was inviting more and more people, and then the numbers would drop back down, and I'd only have eight, and then I'd only have seven and six, and it was like, no, I'll just keep inviting people, and it was like I was collecting coins on um, you know, some game like Gabby watches, like Crossy Road. And um, I realised what was happening was I was getting sucked into that vortex of social media, the trap of validation. And it truly is a sticky web that catches many people. And I'm wondering today, are you stuck in that trap, that trap of validation, of seeking validation? Let's look at that word. Validation means the action of checking or proving the validity or accuracy of something. I just want to tell you the answer now to help you avoid that trap, just in case you decide to leave my watch party. Number one, be aware that you're feeling out of sorts and there is a trap of seeking instant validation or comfort during this time. You know, the Bible talks about Esau. Esau was hungry and he would normally go out and hunt for his own food. But this time he didn't go out and his brother Jacob had made a really nice meal of lentils. And Esau was hungry. He smelt it. He looked at it. He wanted it. And that was fine, but there was a cost to that meal. It was the cost of his birthright. Jacob said, yes, you can have it. You can have my meal, but I'll have your birthright. So number two, be aware of the hidden costs. The cost for Esau was his birthright. It belonged to him as the firstborn son, 
But because of that habit of instant gratification, he was willing to trade it for just a bowl of lentils. Proverbs talks about the costs of sin, the cost of going for instant gratification. So number three, call a friend instead of fighting these things on your own. Bring it into the light. You know, when I was a kid, I used to love to get splinters out of my dad's hands. But you couldn't really see it in the dark. You had to actually bring it out into the light to see. And when we leave things in the dark, they begin to fester. When you leave a splinter in, it begins to fester. And what starts out small can end up a very big problem. Number four, shame. Shame was dealt with on the cross. There is a way back. I want you to hear that today. Peter in the Bible knew incredible shame and grief when he denied the Lord. We, we, look, we talked about that last week, uh, a couple of weeks ago at Easter. Just before Jesus was crucified, Peter denied that he knew him three times. On the third time, the Lord looked at Peter and Peter realised what he had done and he wept bitterly. But there was a way back for him through repentance. Judas also betrayed the Lord. He felt such remorse that he took his own life. He didn't realise there was a way back. I'm talking to you today. No matter where you are or what you're going through, there is a way back. There is, I do not want you to take your life. Judas took his life, but he was, with, he was with Jesus. He knew Jesus. There was a way back just as there was for Peter. And number five, prayer. Prayer enables you to stand strong when you're facing pain. Jesus actually said to Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, pray, Peter. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So it's really important to pray. And of course, just avoid social media when you're feeling flat. Don't use it as your counselling tool. Instead, go and spend time with God. But during this time, it's really important to learn to practice sitting still with discomfort and find out what God's word says about you. We know that we are God's sons and daughters and we can go to his word for validation for who we are. You know, when you become born again, you become God's child. When we adopted our son, Fred, he was two years old. And after a year, we went through the court proceedings to make him legally our son. And I still remember Fred at three years old and the judge saying to him, do you want to be with this, these people, Rob and Heather Porter? Do you want them as your mum and dad? And he said, yes, a very resounding yes. I don't know what the judge would have said if he said, no way, I'm not having them. But the judge said, the judge said great, it's done. You are now legally the son of Rob and Heather Porter. He took our family name. He was given a place at our table. He became family and now he has access to our inheritance. And this is what happens when we become children of God. We sing a great song. Um, KCC Worship sings a great song. says, we're no longer orphans anymore. Not orphans anymore. We've become part of God's family and we have a seat at his table. You know, Rob and I have a daily practice of praying together. It's a wonderful way to start the day. And uh, we pray for you and we pray for our online church family. And the other day I was reading Philippians and it said to stand steadfast in the Lord. And I just stopped and thought about that verse, stand steadfast in the Lord. I thought, where is the Lord? He's not on the cross. He's not in the grave. No, he's in heaven. And that's where I stand. I stand in the Lord. I look at my life from heaven, from God's perspective. And what a view. 
And I began to pray and I said, Lord, we start this day, we remember who we are and where we are, that we are your sons and daughters, that we're seated with you in heavenly places. We don't have to rush into this day. Though the goalposts have changed with COVID-19, your word remains the same. You don't change. And then we begin to declare God's word. And that's really where also the seed thought, apart from my watch party, where the seed thought for my preach began. I was thinking, Jesus, you lived your life on earth from a perspective of completion and rest. You didn't live stressed or hurried. You didn't have to be searching for validation from others, whether you were doing the right thing. You knew you were the son of God. You chose to come and live on earth as a man, but without sin. You were buried, you were resurrected. The grave could not hold you. You took the keys back from the devil. You know, hell is real, but it is never meant for you. It was never meant for man. It was meant for the devil and his angels. But without Jesus, that's where we all will go when we die if we don't take the gift of Jesus' salvation. Because the Bible says that we're all under the curse of sin and that we are slaves of the devil, whether we believe it or not. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, nobody needs to go to hell unless they choose to reject that gift of salvation. It actually says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. That joy was to see you come back into relationship with God. You know, Jesus only had three years of public ministry. I've often thought that wouldn't it have been amazing if he could have lived to, if he could have lived to 50? Imagine how much more he could have accomplished. And I'd realise that I tend to look at, our, at lives, and maybe you do as well, at the, the largeness of the life or the amount of activity of that life or the fruitfulness of that life. But really, a successful life is not to be measured by the largeness of it or the activity, but a successful life is a life that is lived doing what God told you to do. Jesus said, I only do those things I see the Father do. I only say those things I hear the Father say. Just stop and think about that for a moment. Jesus said he could do nothing on his own. He lived out of relationship with his Father. There was an unhurriedness to it. And I believe that we can have that same sense of purpose and clarity for our lives. Because it is not based on the amount of activity, but it's based on living my life according to what Jesus asks me to do today. I'm aware that in this time of isolation and change, that the parameters and structures of our everyday lives have been removed quite suddenly. And probably for many of you, you've had no control over it. For those working in hospitals, there is incredible stress. You know, we usually don't mind change when we're in control. Like, say, when we go on a holiday, we want to change a scenery or we change a job. But the changes that have happened with COVID-19 have not been ones that you would choose. Your pattern of doing life may have changed dramatically. So it's not surprising that you can feel disorientated. It's a bit like culture shock. And research shows that a lot of people go on social media for validation and comfort, and even more so in this time. The Bureau of Statistics actually shows that pornography searches have actually gone up 70%. What this shows is there is a, a need for intimacy, but it's a legitimate need for intimacy, but this is not the way to satisfy it. You know, change in life is going to be constant. Just ask anyone over the age of 35 
how many changes have taken place in their life, many changes over which they've had no control. So now is a really good time to develop some healthy patterns of how to cope with change so that you come out stronger. So I want to share with you three steps. Step one, awareness. Awareness of the problem. You can't change something that you're blind to. So you need to take time during this this season to observe yourself and what you do. Become a good observer of your own life and your own reactions. What is your current go-to when you face discomfort and pain? Do you run? A bit hard with the borders being closed. Do you get angry and shout at those in the house? Which is also hard when you have to share the same house. Maybe you're eating more. Maybe you're drinking alcohol more. Maybe you're working harder. Maybe you're wanting to shop more online. But you need to become aware. So to actually do that, you have to stop and start to sit with that pain and discomfort. Not numb it or stuff it or just get busy ignoring it. So what better time to do this than now? We have a wonderful opportunity to learn to be alone with ourselves and realise that it's not that scary after all. Step number two is acceptance. Stop fighting it or denying it. Step number three is action. Dr. Caroline Leaf, many of you know her, I follow her, and she's a Christian neuroscientist. And she really explains these three steps very well on her Instagram. She says it's so easy and natural to want to escape discomfort, but it's one of the worst things you can do for your mental health. To become comfortable with the discomfort of difficult feelings is not easy but it's necessary and it's to practice at what she calls dosing. So every time you feel a hard emotion, just try for, say, 30 to 90 seconds to embrace it, to sit with it, maybe question it and write it down. Over time, you will become good at sitting in the discomfort, learning from it, learning how to choose to respond in a way that grows healthy brain networks rather than toxic ones. But don't feel ashamed or scared or angry with yourself. It is hard to do, but it's so beneficial. And I would recommend you go to her Instagram site for some great further information about how to do that. Counselors actually say that as they teach people the practice of simple breathing exercises like in what we were talking about last year in sacred breath, in through your nose for four, hold for seven, and then breathe out through your mouth for eight. If you actually practice that, and when people do, they actually allow their body to relax. And often they found that people begin to weep. You think that might sound strange, but they found that it's because feelings of grief that may have been stuffed down deep or medicated or numbed with alcohol begin to be allowed to surface and wounds begin to heal, begin to heal. And I believe that's what we can actually use at this time. And I believe that's how Jesus practiced his life. It's not that he didn't go through pain because he did. He went through rejection. He was an illegitimate child. He was born in Nazareth, which was like the Caboolture or Deception Bay. I live in Caboolture. Some people live in Deception Bay. We have a name for our town. Nazareth had that name. People thought nothing good could come out of Nazareth. He lived with prejudice. But his cure for pain was to get alone with his father. He had amazing self-control. 
He said no to sin, not just once, but every day of his life. And he did this by being in constant communion with his heavenly father. He actually said, I can do nothing on my own. I only say what I hear the father say. I only do what I see the father do. He lived from a place of rest and purpose. He didn't have to spend his life trying to discover who he was. So many people can spend their whole lives trying to discover who they are. I'm asked a question, do you know who you are and why you are here? Are you pursuing happiness? I suppose in some ways many of us are. But how will you know that the ladder you are climbing actually leads to that life of happiness you are pursuing? Let me tell you who you are and what the secret to a fulfilling life is. It's not about things and job titles or holiday destinations. Life is about relationships. First and foremost, you were created by God to have relationship with him. And until you find that relationship, there will always be an emptiness on the inside. During this time, as many, many things have been stripped away, have you become more aware of that emptiness or a shallowness to your life? Or maybe you have been incredibly successful in your chosen field, but there is still an emptiness. Neil Diamond actually wrote a song in 1971 and it said, I am, I said. This is my plug for those who are in their 50s. <laughs> See if you remember that song. And he, the words were, I've got an emptiness deep inside and I don't know why. Maybe that's you and maybe you've been trying to fill that void in many different ways. You know, money and plenty of it is not the answer to happiness. Marcus, who developed Minecraft, his net worth is $1.6 billion. He married in 2011, divorced in 2012, and then in 2015, he put on Twitter, I'm lonely and sad. I have no friends. I believe what the Bible says, that the reason for this emptiness is that men and women do not choose the bread of life. They try and live on cheap, sugary counterfeits that have no life in them. Jesus made an amazing statement. He said in John 6:35, I am the bread of life. He is the only one who can satisfy our deepest hunger because he is the one that makes it possible for our relationship with God to be restored. Let's look at three things that a relationship with God gives us and can give you today. He will satisfy your hunger for meaning and purpose in life. Until we are living in a relationship with God, we will never find true happiness and meaning. Other things can, pro can provide passing satisfaction but only in a relationship with our Creator do we find true meaning. He satisfies our hunger for life beyond death. What a preoccupation there is in the world with the afterlife. The fact is we all die. We will all die. Most people don't want to die. We long to survive beyond death, but only in Jesus Christ do we find eternal life. He satisfies our hunger for forgiveness. If we are honest, we would all have to admit that we've done things wrong. Sometimes we've done things that we're deeply ashamed of. Or maybe people have done things to you that you are ashamed of. Maybe you feel broken and hurt and unable to be put back together. Jesus said in Mark 7 that it's what comes out of you that makes you unclean. For from within your heart comes evil thoughts, 
sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed. All these evils come from inside of you and make you unclean. So our greatest need is actually for forgiveness. Just as someone who needs a doctor, just as someone who is sick needs a doctor, whether they realise it or not, we need forgiveness whether we realise it or not. By his death on the cross, Jesus made it possible for us to be forgiven and brought back into relationship with God. He supplied the answer to our deepest need. We know that the crucifixion was one of the cruelest forms of execution. Cicero described it the most cruel and hideous forms of torture. Jesus would have been flogged with a whip with several strands of leather weighted with bits of metal and bones. Sufferers their veins were laid bare and the very muscles and sinews and bowels of the victim were open to exposure. Jesus was then forced to carry a six-foot beam until he collapsed. When he reached the site of execution, six-inch nails were hammered into his wrist and his feet and he was left to hang for hours in excruciating pain. Yet the New Testament makes it clear that there was something far worse for Jesus than the physical and emotional pain, and that was the spiritual anguish of being separated from God as he carried our sins, my sins and your sins. Jesus said he died for us, for us. That word for actually means instead of. He did it because he loved you and he did not want you to have to pay the penalty for all the things that you and I have done wrong. On the cross, he was effectively saying, I will take all those things on myself. He did it for you and he did it for me. It was out of love that he gave himself for you as a ransom. The word ransom comes from the slave market. A kind person might buy a slave to set him free, but first the ransom price had to be paid. You are a slave to sin, but Jesus paid by his blood on the cross, the ransom price to set you free. We can experience freedom from guilt. Whether we feel guilty or not, we are all guilty before God because we have broken his laws. Just as when someone commits a crime, there is a penalty. In the same way, there is a penalty for breaking God's law. It says in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to suffer that penalty. But on the cross, Jesus took that penalty in our place so that we could be totally forgiven and our guilt could be taken away. We can know freedom from addiction. Are you addicted to something at the moment? It's like a chain around your leg. Jesus can set you free today and I really believe he will. Jesus said in John 8 that everyone is a slave to sin and he came to set people free. He said in John 10, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. The devil is called the father of lies and he only comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life overflowing. You can know freedom from fear. You do not have to fear death or what will happen to you. Because when you take Jesus' gift that he offers of salvation, he said, I go to prepare a place for you and I will take you to where I am with my father. Jesus is no longer physically on the earth, but he has left us his Holy Spirit to be our comforter, to be our encourager. God sets us free that we might know him, that we might know how to love him, 
that we might know how to change. You know, some people say that you are who you are. You can never change or a leopard can't change its spots. But the good news is that with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can change. The Holy Spirit gives us freedom to live the sort of life that we've always wanted to live. When we ask the Holy Spirit to come and live within us, he gives us the fruit of love, joy, peace, kindness, patience. So I'm going to close. I've talked about the gift that God offers you. God offers us in Christ Jesus forgiveness, freedom, and his spirit to live within us. All of this is a gift from God. But when someone offers you a present, you have a choice whether you will accept it and open it or whether you will say no thanks. Sadly, many people make excuses for not accepting the gift that God offers. Probably one of the most common excuses is, I'll do it later. I know it's true, I'm not ready, but they put it off. But the longer we put it off, the harder it becomes. I encourage you, don't put it off today. What do you have to do? The New Testament makes it clear that we have to do something to accept that gift. It's an act of faith. I want to lead you in a prayer that will help you receive that gift. I'm going to summarise it in three words. The word sorry, the word thank you, and the word please. You say sorry. You have to ask God to forgive you for all the things you've done wrong. You say thank you. We believe that Jesus died on the cross, so you need to thank him for dying for you and for the offer of his free gift of forgiveness. You say, please. God never forces his way into our lives. We need to accept his gift and invite him to come and live with you by his spirit. If you'd like to have relationship with God and you're ready to say these things, there's going to be a very simple prayer that comes up on the screen that you can pray with me. Let's pray it together. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be given, forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. What now? Tell someone. It is so important to tell someone to underline the decision you've made. So tell us. Send us an email at care at kingdomculturechurch.com.au because we would love to send something to you, to pray with you and to help you in your journey with Christ. Thank you so much for listening and bless you today. Amen. Amen.